The Rural Health Voice, Episode 89, Nursing and Farming. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What unique challenges do farmers have in staying healthy? Dr. Amy Johnson, family nurse practitioner with the Central Medical Group, joined me to discuss her perspective as both a farmer and a nurse. So welcome, Dr. Johnson. Thank you. We appreciate you having here today. And I was looking at at your background. You're a nurse practitioner, but you also claim the title farmer. How did you get into farming? Um, I've actually been a lifelong farmer. Um, I was born into farming. Um, My father is a lifelong farmer. He was raised on the farm that they still live in, in Highland County. And he raised sheep and cattle and actually for a a long time made maple syrup um, in Highland County. So when I was born, um, it was kind of a natural thing that I would uh, help him on the farm. And from the time I was old enough to walk, I was following him through the barns and through the fields. So um, it, it was it, it was kind of destiny that I was going to be a farmer. Um, after um, I left the home farm, um, my first degree was actually in animal science. Um, I always thought I would kind of stay on the farm, um, but that changed as I I went on through college and ended up in a career in healthcare but um came back to the farm when I married my husband and we now uh, live on his family's farm and we um, crop about 850 acres of wheat soybeans hay corn and some other small grains as well as stocker cattle sure and farming and healthcare are both very demanding jobs why do both I think because I'm very passionate about farming and I'm very passionate about healthcare and they are both very important and there's not a lot of focus on healthcare in farming and it's probably just an afterthought and not something that people think about very much and when I was in my doctoral program and working on my capstone project and trying to figure out what I was going to do as far as um, my capstone project I decided I was going to inter, basically intertwine the two worlds and mingle them together. And my focus was on farm safety, raising awareness about farming accidents, and um, basically talking to folks about how to prevent those injuries and how to prevent accidents and, and be safer on the farm. And so that's kind of how that whole thing got started. And I never imagined after I graduated from college that that project would live on and expand the way it has but um, I have continued to talk about farm safety and um, even expanded that to some degree to include mental health and it's now it's my whole life actually um, health care and, and ag is, is really what I do um, day in and day out. Sure. So you, you mentioned farm safety. You know, and one of the concerns that we're aware of is that the equipment is often dangerous and people are working in areas that can be far away from help. What can farmers do to minimize their risk? So there's lots of things that I tell them because, I mean, a lot of times farmers think that, you know, they don't have time for that or, you know, they don't have the money for that. And there's lots of things that can be done on a farm to increase their safety and decrease their their risk of injury that really don't take a lot of time and 
don't cost very much at all. Um, the first thing being, you know, protecting their eyes and ears. Um, you wearing safety glasses, wearing hearing protection um, is very important in terms of, you know, saving their eyes and saving their ears. About 50% of farmers over age 50 have some degree of hearing loss, and that only increases as they get older. Um, so, you know, Many organizations give out um, earplugs and even give out safety glasses um, free of charge at, at various conferences that they go to and um, you know, various meetings. So it's easy to kind of grab a handful, stick them in your pocket and stick them in the tractor or on the truck dash or in the barn. So they're always readily available. Um, other things that I tell them is, you know, always make sure that somebody knows where you're going to be. Um, you know, farming is an isolated profession. Farmers are frequently working alone. And when an injury does occur, something that generally will make a difference between an injury that can be survived or an injury that becomes a fatality is the length of time it takes to find that person and access that person. So by just telling somebody that morning, you know, I'm going to go to such and such field and I'll be back at lunchtime. And when that person doesn't come back, it gives the family member a place to go look for them and a time that they know they need to start looking for them because that person's not back. So if there was an injury or an accident, then it decreases the amount of time that we're sitting there not looking for that person. Um, you know, I've unfortunately had the um, opportunity to, um, I was in fire and EMS for a long time and, you know, had the unfortunate circumstance of, of actually treating one of my college um, classmates in a farming injury. And it was an injury that could have been survived had it not taken six and a half hours to find him. So, you know, those injuries that, that could be easily survivable that are not that serious can quickly become serious if there's a delay in finding the patient just because of the time that it takes to get that injury treated or like this weekend when the weather's going to be, you know, 20 degrees outside with 60 mile per hour winds and the wind chill is going to be less than zero, a simple fall that causes a hip fracture that is normally not a serious or fatal injury can quickly become a fatality because that person loses body heat and becomes hypothermic in just a matter of minutes. So having somebody know where you are and, and when to come look for you if, if you haven't come back to where you're supposed to be at a certain time is very important. Another thing is just making sure that people know how to access your farm. Um, when I first married my husband and moved to his farm, you know, him and his dad would talk about the Jim Cave field and the Aunt Lois field. And, you know, I, I don't know who these people are. These people died before my husband was even born. And, you know, then we had the, the farm where the barn fell down. Well, how am I supposed to know where the barn <laughs> fell down when I never even saw the barn to start with? So, you know, being able to understand their directions and understand where these fields are. So I know where, if he sends me a text or calls me and says, this is where I am, I need you to come help me. I know where to find him, but I also know the access points. Um, rescue vehicles cannot get to just any part of a field or they can't go across just any old bridge. So being able to understand how to get them to your loved one or your farmer so that they can help them is, is very important. Um, 
some other points that I like to make with folks is, you know, taking care of, of your health. Um, chronic health conditions can really um, wreak havoc on the farming lifestyle. Um, you know, diabetes and high blood pressure and, and the medications that we take for those can increase the risk of dehydration in the summer, um, can affect our ability to hold heat in the winter, um, can make not so serious injuries a lot more serious if um, bleeding risk is an issue so you know establishing care with a primary care and making sure that um, you know your health is is kept up on and that you're getting your routine vaccinations and that you know you're taking care of those, those health care issues that you need to on a regular basis is also very important um, and then I like to tell people you know take care of your mental health um, the last few years have been trying times for farmers and farm families um, and it's okay to not be okay you know we've all had stress we've all kind of felt the crunch with commodity prices and input costs and rising costs of fertilizer and seed and um, you know diesel fuel and um, you know it's we understand that it's times are tough and, and you know times are tight it's okay to feel the impact of that and it's okay to get down but talk to somebody about it don't let it completely overwhelm your thought and your mind um and you know reach out to folks if you really if you're getting down to the point that you feel like um you know you really are overwhelmed and you can't get past it and um you know talk to somebody whether it be a friend or a family member or a pastor at your church or you know an extension specialist or the guy you talk to at FSA, just reach out to somebody and, and say, you know what, I need some help. And um, we've been training a lot of folks to, to recognize those situations so they know where to refer you and to point you in the right direction to get you that help that you need. Sure. Yeah, farming is very time intensive. It's not a nine to five Monday through Friday job. It doesn't really allow time off to see your family doc or go to trips out of town for specialists. What do you think healthcare providers need to realize about working with farmers and their families? I think understanding the culture, taking time to get to know that individual, um, and realizing that sometimes you have to modify treatment plans, um, and sometimes you have to compromise treatment plans to really um, work with that individual. Um, you know, I've I've talked to other healthcare providers, and you know, I've heard everything from they're just non-compliant to you know they just don't want to do anything I tell them. To, uh, you know, name the excuse. I've probably heard it, but trying to get them to understand that you know you got to meet the farmer where they are so you know you find out what their schedule's like find out what their responsibilities are and try to develop a plan that works with those responsibilities um you know case in point a few years ago i had a gentleman that really needed cardiac testing but he really needed to finish cutting his beans and he was not going to get his cardiac testing until he got his beans done so we made some adjustments to his meds and agreed that as soon as he got his beans done he was getting that cardi cardiac testing done so we got him through it and he got his cardiac testing done and got the cardiac problem solved but he was not going to give up on those beans because he had a very short window of time to get it done and so i made some adjustments on my end to kind of get him through and everybody it winded well everybody was happy but the other thing is to consider is you know trying to figure out 
what is a have to situation what are some things that can wait and what are some things we can compromise on um, you know understanding the impact that medication changes may have on that farmer you know um, this comes up a lot in the summer with ticks and tick-borne illnesses is, you know, antibiotic choices and you're trying to treat those and, you know, giving the farmer an antibiotic that's going to make them sensitive to the sun when they're in the middle of haymaking, um, you know, they're not going to sit in the shade and, you know, really trying to come up with ways that they can protect themselves at the same time, treat an underlying illness. I think another thing that is really helpful is the use of telemedicine now um, and using telemedicine whenever you can um, even in the primary care setting um, telemedicine doesn't have to mean that a doctor is you know an hour and a half two hours away from their patient um, you know if I see a patient in the office today and I'm gonna make adjustments to some of their meds like a blood pressure medicine or a diabetes medicine and I want to see them every two to three weeks for the next several weeks you know I can have a telehealth visit and you know we can work with them checking their their sugars and their blood pressures at home and then them talking with me or having a video chat with me and you know showing me their numbers and showing me what they're doing and we can make those adjustments via telehealth so you know they're not having to leave the farm for two hours to come in for a visit and sit and wait and if I'm behind and they're waiting on me and they got stuff to do and they really want to get home and feed the cows and do what they need to do so they can take a few minutes out of their day talk with me on the phone or do a video chat not have to leave the farm and then get right back to work and when situations are available that we can use that telehealth using that to our advantage so we're meeting them where they are and they're not having to really compromise their day and leave that farm um, you're more likely to I think get them involved in their health care and get them following up and doing the things that we're asking them to do um, same thing with specialists you know if they have to travel a long way particularly far southwest Virginia where you know it may take a whole day to see a specialist um, you know using things like telemedicine and telehealth to connect folks with those specialists that may be three or four or five hours away um, and using them to um, the highest degree that we can so that way we can get the highest level of care without really asking that farmer to leave his farm and lose a day of work um, and really putting his operation in a compromise is is going to be very important moving forward and I think the more healthcare providers that we can get to understand the culture of farming and kind of the culture of farmers um, and the, the background that they're coming from is going to be very important. Sure because that farm's not going to wait for anything or anyone. No it's not. <laughs> yeah I was at a restaurant once and I saw a sign that said behind every good farmer is a partner who works in town and has good insurance. How much truth do you see in that? I see more and more truth in that um, because, you know, so many farmers today, you know, I, I laugh because I, I say they have two full-time jobs because farming itself is a full-time job. Even in, in my family, um, you know, my husband works a full-time job and, you know, he has the insurance on our family. I work a full-time job and then we have the farm, which is a full-time job. And, you know, it's like, well, how can you work? three full-time jobs well you know it's it's what we have to do to make ends meet and you know more and more farm families are having to do that because you know they have to have insurance for the family and for their children so somebody has to work that off 
that all-farm job in order to make that affordable. And, you know, you have grocery bills and, and things like that. And it's hard to do that if your income is, is two big checks a year or three big checks a year. Um, and with the cost of equipment and maintenance and things like that now, it's, it's very hard anymore to really make a living on farming alone. Um, you have to really have a diversification and be large enough to be able to have multiple sources of income. You have multiple crops that are being harvested throughout the year. In addition to having some type of livestock or something else that you have that rotating income. And it's very difficult for people to do that. So, you know, any more, most farm families, you're going to see somebody that farms either that full-time job, part-time while they work another full-time job, or you have one person who's solely working off the farm to maintain that, that constant income with the insurance, and then somebody that's farming um, at home consistently. And more and more, you're going to see multiple families coming together. So, you know, it's not just going to be an individual family anymore. There's going to be families kind of coming together to get that work done uh, because it's farming itself is very, very difficult um, compared to what it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, or 50 years ago, um, because of the, the high cost of inputs. And, um, you know, farming itself is, is a business like anything else. And now, you know, bookkeeping used to be done on, you know, little pocket pads with pencils in your shirt pocket. And now, you know, we have computer programs and computer systems and, you know, keeping up with the taxes and the expenses and our inputs and outputs and the technology that farming has taken on, you know, that in itself is, is something that, you know, you have to almost have a degree in to keep up with. So, you know, it's not, not like it used to be. And, and it truly, is a science now and um, there's a whole lot that goes into understanding the farm and understanding the business of it. You mentioned mental health earlier. National statistics have some very concerning data about farmers and suicide. Is that a problem you see in Virginia? It is um, and it, it's unfortunate that it is. Um, until recent years, I think it was something that was not talked about. It was a taboo subject and it was something we pushed under the rug because, you know, we, we didn't want to talk about it. And now we are, we're making a push and we're trying to bring it to the forefront and really um, encourage people to discuss what's on their minds. We are really trying to decrease the stigma around mental health and, um, you know, the stigma of saying, I'm, I'm not okay. Um, and we want people to understand that it's okay to not be okay. Um, you know, farming itself, it, it is an isolated um occupation you're, you're frequently working alone you're working long hours um, you're working under hazardous conditions um, frequently on a time schedule that nobody in their right mind would understand um, you know fighting time weather um, the dark um, you know commodity schedules it, it's it's impossible sometimes and then you are at the mercy of people that you don't even know setting the price for what you're getting and setting the prices for what you're buying and putting into your crops. Um, and you really have no control over what it is that you're doing, um, but you're, you're putting your heart and soul and guts into everything every day that you do. And, you know, 70, 60, 70 years ago, you know, when 
your grandfather or your great-grandfather made a living at farming, it was a whole different situation. And, you know, many of our multi-generational farmers today are looking at a situation where their grandfather made it on farming, their father made it on farming, are they going to be able to maintain that family farm? And if they're facing a situation where they may not be able to maintain that family farm, that is a huge blow to them. Um, you know, they look at themselves as a failure, even though the environment that they're trying to farm in is not the environment that their father or grandfather or great-grandfather was farming in. And so it's, it's a huge loss to them it's a huge loss to their soul when they are not able to continue that farm and in recent years we've seen farms go out of business in exponential numbers and you know that that weighs a lot on the mind of farmers and you know if they have to give up their land their land is their life um, you know they put their heart and soul into it they put their blood into it um, you know and it's they they fight tooth and nail to take care of their animals and take care of their land. And, um, you know, they are the environmental stewards. I mean, they, they take care of the land for all it's worth. And, um, you know, when they can't do that anymore, it's not easy just to pick up and, and go take a, a city job, as my husband says, um, behind a desk or go learn another trade because a lot of them, this is all that they've known. And, you know, if they're facing, uh, physical health issues that are limiting them from farming or you know they do have an injury that's keeping them from farming you know they they see that as kind of the end of their road and you know it's it's very much a a mentality of you know uh that they don't want to burden anybody else with their problems um you know they're going to be seen as a failure they don't want to do that um they very tend to be a very closed-mouthed group of people um you know they don't talk about their issues um although they encourage other people to talk to them they're not going to share their feelings and you know it's frequently if if the farm is is struggling a lot of times they see that as a way out to save the farm um you know it's kind of their final sacrifice to their family and you know unfortunately it doesn't always work out that way um so we've worked really hard um in virginia and in many other states to raise awareness about the mental health struggles in farming and come up with resources to help those farmers and farm families that are struggling um you know in virginia alone we've worked to um, educate those that are on the front lines, um, you know, those um, loan officers and extension specialists and, um, you know, those working in the USDA offices that are, are talking one-on-one with these farmers and meeting one-on-one with them um, and know them very well to, to watch for signs that, um, you know, things may not be going well and looking for personality changes and just changes in their demeanor that may signal that, um, you know, they're getting to that point that they're going to have a crisis. So that way we can intervene um, quickly and, and kind of turn things around. Um, and recently we were able to get an agri-stress helpline um, in Virginia. We were one of five states that got that. And, um, you know, it's a crisis hotline um, dedicated specifically for farmers and farm families and staffed by folks that understand that culture of farming and understand, um, you know, how farmers think. So when somebody answers that line, it's somebody that's going to be able to ask those questions and understand where that farmer's at and, and help them get the resources that they need. Um, because I, I feel like just like in primary care and healthcare, um, 
too often when a farmer does reach out for help, if they find somebody that is compassionate but doesn't understand their culture and they're making suggestions and treatment plans that are not really feasible for that farmer, they're going to kind of lose hope and lose faith in that in that system and they're going to walk away from it. So having providers and having folks on a, a crisis line that understand that culture and understand where that farmer's coming from is, is beneficial. And I think when we get them to reach out for help, if they find validity in that resource, then they're going to be more likely to stick with it and continue to lose and continue to use that source. So tell me more about that AgriStress helpline. How did that get started? So that was a multi-agency effort um, and a multi-organizational effort. Um, several years ago through um, VDAX, the Virginia Department of Ag and Consumer Sciences, um, a task force was put together of um organization as individuals that had buy-in in establishing some type of mental health resources for farmers and their families. And one of the, the first conversations that came out of that task force was the fact that we needed individuals that understood the culture of farming and the culture of farmers and their mindsets in order to reach them and successfully intervene with them. Um, the Department of Behavioral Health was involved with this, as was you know, Farm Bureau, the USDA, um, Extension Specialists, um, the Dairy Association. Um, I was involved with it, um, several com just community individuals that had been affected by suicide. and. You know, our feeling was that we needed to either train the existing um, crisis interventionalists in how to um, respond to farmers or be able to create our own separate hotline that was specific for farmers. So through this task force, um, there was a lot of effort made in getting grant funding through um the USDA and, and grant funds that were available through the Farm Bill for specifically mental health. And um, it, this all came together earlier this year and the um, AgriStress Helpline was um, put into place um, earlier this summer. And so it is available in Virginia. Um, and basically when someone calls, the, the counselors that answer that line are versed in agriculture, um, the culture of agriculture, the mindset of farmers, and their job is to um, figure out what level of crisis that farmer's at, what level of resources that they need, and be able to refer them to um, the help that they need. And um, so far, it's been very successful, um, and we've been working to get the word out through various organizations. Um, you know, Farm Bureau's been working to get it out, AgriBility, through um, uh, Virginia Tech and Virginia Cooperative Extension has been working to get these resources out. So, um, you know, it's it's making its way kind of across the state. We've had billboards up in various areas of the state um, kind of advertising that uh, helpline. So, um, you know, our, our goal is to basically have that resource readily available um, that anybody can call 24 hours a day and reach out for help. Um, you know, if they don't feel like they can reach out to family or their primary care provider, um, you know, or somebody within their community, then that is readily available to them that they can reach out to um, somebody for help. 
And we'll make sure we post information about Agristus in the show notes so people can access that information for themselves and their families. Okay. And partially through your work with Agristress, you were recently awarded the Outstanding Woman Agriculture Distinction by the Virginia Farm Bureau Federation's Woman Leadership Committee. Tell us about your involvement in the Farm Bureau. So I've been involved in Farm Bureau for many years. Um, my family's lifelong members of Farm Bureau and um, my earliest involvement kind of in Farm Bureau on my own was um, in 1998, I guess that's as far back as I can remember at this point, um, when I was uh, Miss Highland County Farm Bureau, um, and that was before they had the um, Young Agriculturalist distinction um, when they still had Miss Virginia Farm Bureau pageant. That was a long, long time ago, Um, and so that was kind of my first go off on my own away from my parents um, participation in Farm Bureau and then um, after I got involved in healthcare and all of that and I met my husband and um, you know we got married um, he was involved in the Young Farmer uh, Committee with Virginia Farm Bureau so I got back involved with Farm Bureau again um, and Um, finished out his term on the Young Farmer Committee, and when I was in graduate school and working on the farm safety stuff, um, really started focusing on farm safety with um, Farm Bureau, and at that time, the um, safety coordinator had actually um, left his position and gone on to other employment, and there was a break in the safety resources available through Virginia Farm Bureau. So several of us had worked together to um, kind of keep these safety resources available and um, provide them to the counties that wanted them. So um, that's kind of how my project through school ended up being continued on and becoming much bigger. Um, I started doing farm safety talks across the state for Farm Bureau um offices and through um, the county farm bureaus anybody that requested a safety talk um, you know they would be referred to me if I was available to do it and um, through um, grassroots efforts and um, the resolution process we were able to get a formalized safety program back within Virginia Farm Bureau Um, we started tracking um, farming injuries in Virginia um, and keeping a database um, in cooperation with Virginia Cooperative Extension um, of the number of injuries that were occurring in Virginia. Um, and, and this really took off after um, a really bad year several years ago um, when we had um, 11 fatalities in one year um, in Virginia. And so, you know, that database has continued to grow so we could track um, both non-fatal and fatal injuries um, to try to get an idea of why these injuries were happening and, you know, what was, what factors were contributing to them. Um, Dana Fisher is now the, um, field rep that kind of takes on the safety uh, programs and um, I've worked closely with him and trying to build some of these programs and doing um, a lot more programs and so we've been working with um, getting a safety coordinator established within each county farm bureau that we can communicate with and put out safety information to and um, help them in planning safety programs and um, 
then kind of beyond that, um, I serve as Bedford County Farm Bureau's president um, and have been in that position for several years. And so within that, um, you know, serve on various committees and, and that sort of thing. Um, but my primary focus within Farm Bureau has been on, on the safety aspect as well as the mental health aspect and, and presenting um, programs across the state. Um, and I've presented in West Virginia and North Carolina as well. And um, several years ago, I had the opportunity to speak at American Farm Bureau um, on the um, topic of farm safety. Um, in the summer of 2020, um, through my connections with Farm Bureau, I was asked to um, go to the White House and speak at a um, press conference on um, regulation reform and had the opportunity to speak about the importance of telehealth and, um, you know, why regulation reform in telehealth was so important during the pandemic and how we were using telehealth in primary care to access our patients um, during the pandemic. So that was a, a huge highlight in my career to be able to stand on the South Lawn and speak um, for a national press conference about the importance of telehealth and um, particularly in rural Virginia and, and how important it was to be able to um, use that modality to continue to access patients during the pandemic. So um, by my connection with Farm Bureau allowed me to do that and has afforded me many um, opportunities um, to, to function and be able to, to speak on farm safety and mental health, both at the, the local and the state and the national level. If a student is considering healthcare as a career, what advice would you give that person? I would suggest that they um, connect with somebody in their community or, um, you know, somebody that they know that works in healthcare and, um, you know, talk with them about their career and, you know, about how they um, got into their role. Everybody takes kind of a different path. Um, you know, I started out in animal science and ended up as a nurse practitioner um, by way of being a paramedic and an RN and then a nurse practitioner. Um, you people take different routes. Um, a lot of my students start out as EMTs and then go to PA school or EMTs in nursing school and then NP school. Um, you know, a lot of the physicians that I work with at one point in time were EMTs or paramedics. Um, you know, anymore, having that kind of real world experience is um, something that's looked highly upon by colleges and universities. So, you know, being able to get involved with either like a volunteer rescue squad when they're old enough or um you know the um in bedford we have the um healthcare day camp in the summer through the hospital um those types of experiences like that that kind of give them a little hands-on a little um, exposure to the healthcare field um you know, that really kind of gets their foot in the door and allows them to kind of see what um, healthcare looks like. And I really encourage them to think outside the box. You know, many people think of, of nursing as like bedside nursing. And, you know, nursing and, and medicine is so much more, um, you know, because I wouldn't necessarily have thought, well, let's put, you know, nursing and agriculture together and, um, you know, come up with this farm safety, mental health model collaboration that I've had for the last, you know, 10 years. Um, but 
it works for me. And when I go and talk to FFA groups or talk to uh, 4-H groups, you know, I can say, yeah, you know what, you really like agriculture, but if you have a passion for nursing or if you have a passion for something else, think about how you can combine the two because you, you really can make it work. Um, so, you know, I encourage them just to, to connect with somebody, um, you know, look at all the pathways to to get to where you want to be um you know if a four-year university is really not the thing um you know i got my associate's degree in nursing um from jefferson college and worked as an associate's degree for a year and then went back and got my bsn um you know you can you have the opportunity to do it in stages um there's so many different ways to get involved in healthcare and and um you know, so many different avenues to take that um, you really, you could use your imagination and, and come up with so many different interesting career choices. Um, but really, you know, seek out those individuals that you can really sit down and talk with and, and interview them and pick their brain. And um, you really kind of pick your path from that point on. Um, but really look at the opportunities that are available both in your community and outside your community. And last question, question I ask all my guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? If I could do anything to improve health care in rural America, I would make sure somehow that everybody in rural America had the ability to afford health care through insurance. I would make sure that the most vital meds were affordable to them and those being inhalers and insulin um, because those are the battles I fight the most and I would make sure that there was a primary care provider whether that be an advanced practice provider or a physician within a 30-minute drive of everybody that they had access to. Um, I think one of the the biggest issues in rural America right now is the lack of access to primary care, which is the, the foothold of the healthcare system. And when that breaks down, then there's, there's no reason to build up specialty care and all that other mess, because if they can't get into the system and access that very basic primary care need, then they're not going to be referred into the system elsewhere. Um, and, APPs, PAs, nurse practitioners are going to help fill that gap. We have to work together with the physicians and improve the access in the primary care, family practice, internal med focus. Um, and those wanting to go into primary care are few and far between anymore. Um, I love precepting my students in primary care. I try to sell them all in primary care and really show them how great it is to be a primary care provider, um, forming those relationships with your patients that last years. Um, and, you know, the patients that come back time after time and the, the sweet little ladies that tell you they love you every time they see you because you're like their grandchild and they just, you know, eat it up every time they get to see you. Um, we, we need more primary care providers in those areas and they have to be able to, to get their medicine and not choose between buying groceries and getting their medicine. Um, it, it's, we got, we got to make, make it affordable. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Jensen. You're welcome. That's Dr. Amy Johnson with her desire for everyone to have affordable health care close to home. 
If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, make sure you check out the Virginia Rural Health Association on Facebook and Instagram. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.